Your job as a clinician is to assess where they are, obviously assess where they want to be because that gives you some sort of idea of your progression. But your starting point is what's missing in this person's function? Why is this tendon overloaded? If it's overloaded, it must be deficient somewhere. How important is it to fully understand the tendon continuum model when we're trying to help patients with tendinopathies? Well, today we had Jill Cook, who's a professor at La Trobe Uni. She's a teacher. She's super well published in this area. And we explored the tendon continuum model, the pathophysiology, the imaging, but what we should look for clinically, as well as the common mistakes that we see health professionals making. There's plenty of pearls in this one. I hope you enjoy it. My name is Michael Risk, and this is Physio Explained. Welcome, Jill, and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Well, great to be here. We're talking all things tendons, which will be a challenge in 15 or 16 minutes, but we were going to start with the continuum model. Is that still relevant? Is that still what we should look at as clinicians? So we're talking reactive, disrepair, degenerative. What are you seeing in that space? Yeah, pathology, that, that model was designed to describe the pathology, and I think that's really important. What we've really moved on a bit from when we published that is recognising how limited understanding the pathology is in our clinical management. So most people who present to you with tendinopathy will have pathology in their tendon. Most of the time it doesn't matter what stage of the continuum it is because it's going to be degenerative or reactive on degenerative, which is sort of updated model that we did. And that can help a little bit in your decision making but on the whole clinically we tend to worry about symptoms and dysfunction more than we worry about exactly what's happening in the tendon. Okay so it looks like a little bit of a a separation of this is the pathology but what clinicians do are they relevant to each other or are they going down separate paths now? They're becoming a little bit more separate. So if somebody presents with a tendinopathy, we know they have pathology in their tendon. And if it's degenerative or reactive on degenerative, we tend to sort of park that knowledge and say, okay, we know that that's there, but it's not actually going to influence our clinical management at all. In a reactive tendon, so this is something that we don't see very often in clinical practice, tends to be in younger people with acute overload, direct flow, that sort of stuff. Mm. It is a bit more important because those tendons are the one that need unloading and lots of settling down. Now, that's quite different to how we would approach the other end of the spectrum, which is our reactive on degenerative and degenerative tendons, where we'd be very quickly trying to load those tendons and address dysfunction. How would we know the difference clinically if someone comes in with, a, with an upset Achilles or a complaint at the back there? What would we be looking for? All right, so reactive almost doesn't present clinically. It's there. Young person, acute overload, acutely sore, no history, swollen tendon, um, just uh, a completely different presentation from somebody who's degenerative or reactive on degenerative mostly. He'll be older, may not even recognise the overload they've done. It'll be there, but they may not actually identify what overload has a bit of a history, can sometimes say, oh, yeah, I've had problems before. I can't remember which tendon it was. Often are dysfunctional before they present and can really easily recognise 
the overload if you actually prompt them to as to what sort of load you're looking for. I'm already thinking of those type of patients that, yeah, they they were probably inactive and their history is a little bit vague and you have to dig a little bit and there was a, a hill climb they did or some stairs they did or they've changed, their buses stopped going so they walked to work. Yes, that's right. So often in these more inactive people, and it's obviously not everyone we see with tendinopathy, but in the more inactive people, it's such a subtle change in load that actually makes them present clinically. It can be as simple as running out of the way of a bus or having to walk a bit further. So they have such poor capacity and such poor levels of function, very little overloads them, and it's the overload that creates the problem that makes them present clinically. So. I guess the thing that, that is in my mind is how do you feel the, the research of the pathophysiology contributes or can we just treat them based on their symptoms and, say, a, a pain score rule? How do we look at that now as clinicians? Yeah, um, I think it's changed a little bit. I mean, I think it's fascinating. I love pathology and I'm really into what's happening in the tendon. But Mm. from a clinical perspective, somebody comes in with a tendinopathy, I very rarely image them to see what was happening in the tendon because it doesn't actually change my clinical management that much. The history and my examination is going to tell me how overloaded they are, what the overload was. I'll question them about what they want to do. I can get a very clear clinical path out of history and examination. And and the imaging is not going to make that different in any way because we know that if you image somebody without pain that you can actually see the same changes. So it really doesn't help me that. Just a comment on the, you know, pain rating score. I'm not a massive believer in that. I don't actually like it very much because it's so individual. Why would we choose five out of ten? when half the volleyball population plays with 8 out of 10 pain yeah. weekly and, you know, some athletes can't get out of bed with 1 out of 10 pain. The other reason is that tendons tend to warm up during activity. So they'll often be a little bit painful to start, but they'll get better during activity. So it's quite pointless waiting for a 5 out of 10 pain score when, in fact, they're actually often pain-free during activity. It's afterwards. It's a 24-hour behaviour that's really important. So not a massive fan of that, but I understand that that can be a simple way that clinicians might judge whether exercise is appropriate. Okay. So let's keep going down that path. So degenerative or reactive on degenerative, they come into the clinic, we take a good history, we get an idea of a starting point for their load. How do you progress that? Is that based on history? You hinted a little bit at the 24-hour pattern. What what kind of clues would you look for? Your starting point is really about assessing the capacity of the person, the muscle, the tendon, the kinetic chain. So we can see people with Achilles tendinopathy who are sprinting athletes that have very little pain when they hop unless they've run 10 kilometres and then you hop them and then they're very sore. That's one extreme. The other extreme is we see patients with Achilles tendinopathy who can't hop. They're either fearful of it or they have no capacity to do it. Now, where we start the load in those two people is going to be very different based on where they are at the moment. So your your job as a clinician is to assess where they are, obviously assess where they want to be because that gives you some sort of idea of your progression. But your starting point is what's missing in this person's function? Why is this tendon overloaded? 
if it's overloaded, it must be deficient somewhere. And that's the thing that you've got to deliver. Now, as I say, it can be anything from let's just try and get your heels off the ground on two legs in, you know, in someone who's more sedentary or, okay, let's change your gym program. Let's increase some loaded single leg standing calf raises because you're not doing that. Yeah, the starting point really is about your clinical skill and your ability to adequately get the loading intervention right. And that's why clinicians struggle with tendons is because they don't often know tendon loads very well. They don't know where to start. The classic response for a clinician is to start way too low. Mm. Now, you can't start too low in sedentary people, but you can start way too low in someone who's a little bit more active. That's really interesting. What I'm imagining is, let's say we find that starting point, or based on the history, we, we come to a decision with the patient that you know, double leg looks okay, let's try a single leg, or we pick a starting point. How do we know if we've gone too hard or not hard enough? And I wanted to relate this to pain because I feel like somewhere on my Facebook feed, I've read a really bad abstract that we could now kind of disregard pain and push through pain and we could actually just keep loading and that would still get a similar outcome. Is that the right way to think or can you correct me on that? There's two key things about this. Any load that is slow Mm. is not high tendon load. So you can very, with ease, provide people with a loading program that's slow and it can be slow and heavy. Mm. So you might easily start somebody with a single leg calf raise with some added load if they're a bit more active. So it is not going to be provocative if it's too, if it's slow. What will limit you in that place is the capacity of the muscle. So you will fail at a muscle level way before you fail at a tendon level. Mm. So you can always start people with slow, heavy loads or slow, heavy being heavy for them, not heavy as in 20 kilos. So heavy means different things. That's one way. It doesn't matter what you do slow, you're going to be fine. Second thing, 24-hour behaviour. And if you load today and you are worse on an objective or subjective test tomorrow, then you've done too much. Now, if you are doing slow loads, you won't be worse. If you're doing faster loads, you quite possibly can be worse. Okay. That's a good distinction. And, like, what I'm seeing on ground is... We're just going to go single leg and single leg heavy and progress the weight. And I think what you're saying there is we need to progress the tempo. How would you go about doing that? So, you know, we advocate a four-stage program, isometrics for pain control and motor control, heavy slow resistance to get some stiffness in the tendon and some muscle strength. And that sort of heavy slow resistance is done above and below the affected muscle tendon unit. So the kinetic chain starts to get stronger. And then if that person needs plyometric type faster loading activities, and again, you've got to separate it. If you have somebody with an Achilles tendon who is just playing golf and it's a flat course, you might actually only stop at your heavy slow resistance. You probably don't need to do much more. But if they're a running athlete, you have to progress them to faster loads. So we would start very simply with some very slow double leg jumps and we would count them. We quantify everything at this stage because you can't easily quantify the load on the tendon, but you can quantify the number of jumps you do. 
So we might say, okay, every second day we want you to do 20 jumps and if you feel fine the day after, go to 25. And then if you feel fine, go to 30. And then at some point we'd say, okay, let's try alternate leg hopping or jumping. So you transfer. So we'd increase the number. We would probably progress to single leg depending on the sport. We'd increase uh, the speed. So you'd start to go quicker. And what you're trying to do here is really get to replicating all aspects of that activity. So everyone would do a heavy, slow resistance program, heavy again being heavy for them. But if they are a runner, what you need to do is progressively increase the load on the tendon with faster movements. What we know with tendons under this sort of load is it's the rate of loading that's important. So you want to start them with some very slow double leg jumps that you would then progress to single or alternate leg. So skipping is often a very, very good exercise. We do a lot of stair running for people with Achilles because you can increase the speed. It adds to the kinetic chain. You know, get a lot of good quad and glute stuff, especially running upstairs, a little bit careful coming downstairs. And then once you've sort of got the idea that the tendon is capable of that sort of load, and that's judged by morning after pain, so 24-hour behaviour, their pain and symptoms haven't got any worse the day after you've given them some loading, then you would start to put in the loading that they need for their activity. So that might be some faster running, some change of direction stuff, all of that sort of stuff, and you'd start to increase the time that they were doing it, giving them plenty of breaks. So you might do a three-minute run and then a two-minute break and then a little bit of a sprint and then a two-minute break. So you start to mimic those training-type loads, always quantifying everything. So if you do 20 jumps today and you're fine the next day, you do 25 in a couple of days. And if you're fine with that, then you do 30. And then you always only ever change one thing at a time so that if you get a flare, you know exactly what it is that's created the problem. That's just progressive overload, but you're using speed you're using quantity of loading and rate of loading is really important. I love the distinction you make because I I think there's two things there. There's two lessons that quantify everything because that's going to be really helpful for the patient and the clinician, but also that I still see on ground that there's a bias to just go heavy and get strong. And I do still see that people, young clinicians might just stop at that point and not do the tempo work. Yes, you can't not do the tempo work. If you're asking somebody to play soccer, how on earth do you stop at heavy, slow resistance training when you've not done the most important thing for the tendon, which is the fast rate of loading? You have to progress through that. And while we're on the the topic of young clinicians, as I said early, is that most people underload tendons even in the heavy, slow resistance phase, that we actually need to be much better at understanding what loads are provocative, what loads are good for the tendon, the muscle tendon unit, the kinetic chain, all of those things, and get that part right because very often we can see people who've tried to progress to the faster stuff but can't because they haven't done enough in the heavy, slow resistance stuff. So I would argue that as clinicians, as physios in particular, we need to be so much better at our load prescription, our exercise prescription, across the whole spectrum of the exercises we need to give for a tendinopathy. And how would you improve that for a young clinician? I saw a post you did saying we need to, um, more physios need to get in the gym and understand loads and feel that load for themselves. Absolutely. How on earth can you prescribe 
a calf raise uh, in a Smith machine if you actually don't know what a Smith machine is and you don't know what it feels like to do a calf raise. I, I just don't get how you can even begin to think about doing that. And so what your default is is to go to really rubbish exercises where you don't actually get the right load. I am such an advocate of people understanding load through their experience and you get so much better. I mean, there's so many things you can do now, not only just in the heavy slow resistance strain, but there's a lot of other fitness types. I mean, you have to understand all these things because people are going to come in having tried it or actually being injured doing it. How do you know then to say, well, don't do this and do this, you'll be fine if you actually don't know what people are talking about. I, I think that's so important. And just with two minutes left, Jill, but is there any reason to go back to the pathophysiology once once you've started that process and you feel like you're progressing your patient? Is there a re- return of the relevance of the evidence or the imaging or what the tendon looks no, like? No, none whatsoever, which is why the continual model is very lovely because it does help us understand the process. But clinically, we're moving away from imaging and, and pathology. The thing that remains important is that these people come with so much baggage about what their image has shown, what their doctor has said to them, all the terms around degeneration and it might rupture and all of those things. They're the things where understanding the pathology is important because you can reassure people about the capacity of the tendon to tolerate load, the very, very low risk of rupture, all of those things, what the images do and don't mean and how you don't have to have a conniption about them. That's when you need to understand what that means. Mm. Jill, that's a wonderful pearl to end on. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.